Before we begin, just a reminder that we have some uh, new cones outside, uh, I think five or six there, and if you have some mobility issues, those uh, parking spots are just for, for you, so please feel free to use those. Well, the big idea of the book of Exodus that we're going through this spring is that God is a liberator. Exodus reveals a God who liberates. And I was thinking about that, and a conversation with uh, Laura Lyson occurred to me. Laura is here writing her dissertation, her doctoral dissertation, and uh, she said, you know, by the way, I'm working on Exodus in this chapter. And so I said, Laura, when you think of this idea of God being a liberator, what do you think of? And she wrote me this back in a text, which is very different than my texts, which usually are like, cool, happy face emoji. Um, <laughs> so this is how Laura texts. Uh, God's liberating work is the total liberation of creaturely life from sin and death in all its forms the fullness of life in relationship with God and all God's creatures. God is the God who liberates totally, even as we wait for that reality to come fully in our bodies, our hearts, and our societies. And I read that several times today and just thought, that is just, 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 just such a powerful, beautiful description of what God is doing. And that's really what the book of Exodus is about. Um, if you ask Jesus Christ to describe what is God doing, what is salvation, he would say, read the book of Exodus. Exodus is the archetype of everything God is doing in the world. And that's why I wanted to spend a little time with it with you this spring. And as you remember, it begins with Israel living in bondage under a nameless Pharaoh. And the whole book of Exodus is about how God liberates his people from slavery and then leads them into freedom and worship. But of course, God doesn't do all the work himself. He invites us to participate with him in this liberating work. And that begins, of course, with God's call to Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. Moses goes to Pharaoh, demands that Israel be allowed to go worship the Lord. Pharaoh refuses. God sends a series of increasingly severe plagues on Egypt. Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, animal diseases, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. Each one of them related to an Egyptian god. And if you uh, haven't had time yet and you weren't here last week, please listen to the beautiful and brave and powerful sermon that Anna preached on uh, this part of the story last week. Pharaoh's stubborn response to the first nine plagues leads God to a final plague. He will take the life of every firstborn Egyptian. Now, chapter 12 and 13 are two of the most important chapters in the Hebrew Bible. As a matter of fact, if you had to pick two, maybe Genesis 1 would be, would be right up there, but if you had to pick two that summarized what the whole story of the Bible is about, you couldn't do better than Exodus 12 and 13. And where we are is on the eve of the greatest slave rebellion in history. We are on the eve of, of a revolution. We're on the eve of Moses leading like a half a million people uh, across a desert 
There are tremendous logistical challenges. Military strategy will come into play. Certainly some kind of inspiration is, is needed. So what does God talk about on the eve of the greatest slave rebellion in history? Worship. He talks about worship. And if you have time, please try to read uh, through the scriptures before you come, because we can't read all of them, and we've got them in the newsletter for you. Uh, we won't read all of them tonight, but I want to read some parts to you where, where we learn that if we are to join God in his liberating work, whether that's something going on in you personally or something going on in the world, we have to worship. We have to worship. And let me kind of suggest, too, that we, we, we begin by thinking about what we're doing here tonight. But, but biblical worship is much bigger than just going to church. That's just a part of it. And if you're weary in the work of joining God and liberating the world, worship is what? will heal you. God begins by giving instructions for the Passover. And I'm going to read a good bit of scripture tonight. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month, literally in the Hebrew, it's this new moon, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Let me just stop there for just a minute. Egypt was the first civilization to develop a calendar with 365 days. Much of it was built around the worship of the gods that were beaten in the plagues. And so one of the things that Moses, uh, or God tells Moses is, by the way, okay, the very first thing I want you to do as you leave Egypt is I want you to tell time differently. I want you to develop a calendar, a liturgical calendar that's not rooted in the gods of Egypt, but it's rooted in what I'm about to do for you. And the first day is going to start today. And that's where the Jewish people got their liturgical calendar, all the feasts. And that's where the church got its liturgical calendar. And that's why we try to work very hard at All Souls to live within the circle of the Christian year. Because how you tell time forms you spiritually. And one of the things that you see all through the book of Exodus is that the gods of Egypt are clamoring for the attention of the Hebrew people. And God does everything he can to keep them from going back to those false gods. And one of the ways he does that is by changing their calendar. By inviting them to live with a different sense of time that's ordered by God's redemptive work and not by the gods of, of Egypt. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, 
You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Don't eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The whole rest of the biblical story is found right there. Every family is to sacrifice an unblemished lamb. They're to put the blood of the lamb over their door. And God will pass over every house marked by the blood of the lamb. And for Christians, of course, the Passover foreshadows God's deliverance. We are forever living in the Passover. Here's just a couple of examples. Uh, Jesus calls his disciples to him during Passover. He says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And that night, as the lambs were being brought into Jerusalem, they have the table and he institutes the Lord's Supper. When John sees Jesus, we read the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul says, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And Peter, we read, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You know, we could say so much more about this, but the the Passover foreshadows the deliverance of Christ. and, And we step into that story every time we come to the table. And then God gives the purpose of worship in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day or a day of remembrance. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So he says, by the way, you know what you're doing tonight? I want you to do it on this day every year forever. Because you need to remember. You're going to forget. You're going to get out there and you're going to meet a bunch of other gods and you're going to become afraid. You're going to forget who I am, what I did, what we're doing together. So worship me. 
Set aside time to remember. That's what worship is. Well, then, uh, we won't read them, but in verses 15 to 20, God says, you know, this is so important. Actually, I want you to take uh, a whole week, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and have a festival every year around that. And then he continues on, and he decides to, to, to describe how Israel responded in worship. Verse 21, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans. Kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin. And touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out of this door until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. And will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or strike you. And then he goes back to the purpose of worship. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now, a small number of verses in these two chapters actually talk about the Exodus itself. Um, one of them... I printed out wrongly, <laughs> so I don't have it, so I apologize. Uh, right after this, several verses just simply talk about God coming and passing over and the people of God leaving that night and heading into the desert. And then chapter 13 starts. What is, starts with more instruction about worship. More instructions on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. More information on, on giving an offering. And then the story ends again in verse 17 of chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. He describes again, verse 3 of chapter three, 13, why we worship. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt 
out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. Two most important chapters in the Hebrew Bible about the Exodus. 73 verses. 20 of them are on the Exodus. <laughs> 53 are on worship. That should tell us something. That should tell us something. The only way we can participate in God's liberating work, liberating work is by making sure we're worshiping. It's the only way we can protect our hearts from going after false gods and staying true to the true God. It's the only way we can sustain a lifetime of partnering with God in his liberating work is by regular worship. Now in the Bible, there are many ways we worship. Abraham worships in a, in a forest. David worships on a hilltop. Jesus worships in an olive garden. They worship in a tabernacle, in a temple. They sing songs in the desert. There's lots of different ways to worship. But what I, what I want you to think about here as we kind of bring this to a close what is your worship life like right now? Where are the places in your life where you're remembering who God is what he did in what you're doing together. What are you doing in your life that reconnects you to God? Looking back, if I thought of, you know, the different things that have sort of threatened my faith, uh, the struggles that I've, that I've had, the the greatest challenges that I've, that I've had. I think it would be the spiritual fatigue that just comes from participating with God in his liberating work. And for me, that fatigue can lead to depression and cynicism and uh, wanting to quit. And what has restored me over the years is worship. Once it was a week at Gethsemane or I met a, a crazy young monk that eventually flunked out. He's not there anymore, but he was really helpful that week. <laughs> uh, I think he's on the radio now. He's got a podcast or something. But, um, Another time, John Wood was at Cedar Springs and invited me into praying the morning office. Um, there's just been different times where coming to the table with you. So I, I just want you to I just want you to reflect on this as we close. If you're weary in the work tonight.
Maybe you're kind of angry. Maybe you've gotten kind of cynical. Maybe you've been kind of beat up. Maybe you're not sure you want to keep going. Maybe you're not sure you believe this anymore. The way that you sustain a faithful life of participating in God's liberating work is you worship. You worship. You worship. And I would ask that you ask your own soul. And you might even, I even do it this goofy, this goofy way. Hey, soul. I do. What do you need right now? What do you need right now? Your soul will tell you. God lives in you. He'll tell you. And then make sure you give your soul what it needs. Let's pray. Oh, my goodness, as we stand at this table, we stand in a story that began that night. Oh, my goodness. That's just hard to, to take all of that in. Lord, our, our little piece of the new Israel is on a journey. We're on our own exodus. We're not sure where all this is going and what the promised land looks like for us. We're trusting. We're trying to follow. And we could have some long days in the desert ahead as we await your provision of a new lead pastor. Some of us here kind of have a spiritual long COVID going on. I think I'm one of them. Just some of the effects of COVID spiritually seem to be lingering. We can't shake them. God, we need to be renewed in, in our worship. Both here on Sunday nights, but in other places as well. We need to remember who you are and what you did and what we're doing together. Because we've got a bit of a trek through the desert ahead. Thank you for this table. Thank you that you, 2,000 years ago, sat down at a Passover dinner remembering something that happened 2,000 years before that and now you meet us in it Lord I know there have been times for me that the only thing I was holding on to was the table I pray you'd meet us there tonight we ask this in your name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts.
Let us give thanks to the Lord. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread.